Listener discretion is advised. This program contains adult themes and language. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. And welcome, welcome, welcome to yet another Pride Connection presentation. We sure love our triple W is there. Um, my name is Byron Lee, and I am filling in for Anthony Corona. Um, he is off um, introducing another event, and he will be with us um, after this presentation is over to answer questions and talk about the, um, the interview process. But tonight we're going to learn about the art of drag. What's it like to be... A drag performer what's it like getting into makeup what's it like uh preparing for your performance how do you how do you change when you're under the makeup um the difference between your onstage persona and your offstage persona so i'm really excited about this we're going to go ahead and start right now with anthony corona in behind the makeup well Welcome to Behind the Makeup, an intimate look at drag performing. I'm your host, Anthony Corona. You may recognize me from Pride Connection. And I am here with the amazing Angel Sheridan, who we will talk to in a moment. I wanted to start off by telling a short little story about my first drag experience. Um, as most of you who are listening will know, I, I was born with sight. I lost my sight suddenly five years ago. Um, and I have <laughs> a lot of experience with drag shows. In my personal opinion, they're absolutely amazing. The artistry behind it, the amount of work it takes to pull off a successful. And don't get me wrong, there are some drag shows out there that are not as well produced or as wonderful as Broadway Divas or as uh, Angel <laughs> puts on. But we'll get to that a little later on. I first experienced drag in the late 90s um i grew up my mom loved music and i grew up listening to donna summer barbara streisand among many many others pointer sisters and and so the first drag performance i ever saw was extremely memorable there's a song called no more tears enough is enough where diva disco disco diva donna summer teamed up with legendary extraordinaire lost Streisand. and it, if you had never heard it we'll put a link to the song in the show notes but um i was a youngin going to the club that you know there was going to be some performances and the lights went dim the music started and all of a sudden, these two stunning, beautiful women in full regalia came out and just threw it down. And I was forever in love with drag from that point forward. So that's what inspired me to think when we were coming up with programming for this convention, what would be something interesting and unique? And I looked to find if there were any drag performances that have been audio described for our community, but alas, I couldn't find any. So I said, well, then we're going to have to make one. Hey we're guys, we're going to pause this and, for uh, just a moment um, because we have not given the CEU code. So I apologize profusely for that. For those of you who are here to obtain your CEU code, we're going to give that beginning one. Go ahead. Hello. Okay, I'm here. Do you want me to give the code? Yeah, please go ahead and give that code. All right. Eight, four, three, nine, three. 
All right, give that one more time, please. I will give it one more time. Eight, four, three, nine, three. And before the end of the call at 645, somewhere around 640, we will give the final code. All right. Sounds good. The EU code. <laughs> Let's get back to Anthony. Okay. Um, I had recently in Orlando during the Florida board meeting, we had gone out to a Hamburger Mary's. Uh, very socially distanced, extremely well done. Uh, we got to experience Broadway Divas, where I first experienced our guest. And um, I was blown away, absolutely blown away. I was sitting with um, Sheila Young and her sister, other notable people, Michael Wiseman, who arranged the whole thing for us. And if you all know Mikey, you all know it was an amazing time. And uh, so we got, you know, we got to hear from our sighted friends what was being you know what the costumes look like what the dancing and the routine look like but honestly we probably wouldn't have needed that there was so much going on and the personalities were so big and strong that you'd have been able to figure it out either way and so fast forward two and a half months and here i am with the fabulous the <laughs> incomparable angel sheridan angel thank you for joining us today Oh, it's my pleasure and my privilege. Hello, everybody. So I know you're in Orlando, and I know you have a day job. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what um, what your day and week looks like, both out of and then in drag? <laughs> uh, well, um, my day job, so to speak, is um, I'm nationally certified. I take care of people who have Alzheimer's and dementia. So I work with the elderly at various stages of the disease. Uh, I'm what they call an activities director. So I evaluate um, kind of where they are in the disease process. And I establish a routine for them. I establish a, um, an activities calendar, um, whether it be generalized or personal to them, to try to keep them what we call aging in place. The more active you are physically and mentally as a person with dementia, um, it has been proven that we can, you know, dementia is progressive disease. However, we can try and slow it down as much as possible by keeping you active and keeping you happy, keeping the person out of depression and those kind of things. Yeah, so I do I know that. Oh. Sorry? Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I spend my day, um, you know, evaluating people and redirecting people and living in a, living in a fantasy world um, that, um, that is of their creation. And uh, sometimes, um, you know, reality and fantasy have to come together at some point. And it's, uh, it's very stressful, but very rewarding. I love what I do. I'm very grateful to have this um, as a later in life career. Um, that I discovered this, but it, like I said, it's, it's a very, um, intense job. So I, I love the fact that I have a creative outlet to, to release all of that, uh, tension and everything that I go through the week. I always say that my audiences at uh, Hamburger Mary's, um, are, are my victims after a hard week at work. <laughs> I come out and I take it all out on them. You sure do. Quite, uh, quite funnily. <laughs> 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 how, 
have your two fantasy worlds ever collided? I know that, um, you know, music stimulus and, and other artistic stimulus is good for patients that are um, a- aging with memory issues. Have your two worlds ever collided? Uh, I've never I've never done um, a drag performance for my residents because um, they it, it would be confusing to them to hear my voice and those kind of things coming out of a different look. Um, but, um, drag queens and female imprisoners have been going into nursing homes and aging facilities for a long time and performing for them. And they love it. Um, they don't question it. You know, if, if it's a female impersonator that comes in and doing Liza Minnelli to them, it's Liza Minnelli. You know, it's not a dude in a dress. It's Liza Minnelli. And it's a wonderful thing for them. Um, however, me doing it in my own facility, uh, would be counterintuitive. It would make them confused um but there are there's a lot of those performances happening in a lot of homes around the country so i told my story uh about my first experience with drag tell tell the the listeners how you found drag and and then how you became to came to be part of the drag lifestyle okay how far back do you want to go (laughs) <laughs> Go back as, as far as you want to date yourself, Ms. Sheridan. <laughs> I was born a poor Cuban boy on the island of Key West. You want to go back that far? <laughs> <laughs> you can substitute Liza for Donna or, you know, <laughs> so we can keep your age. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yeah, uh, honestly, um, I, I came, I came to, to doing drag and female impersonation in a different way than most people do. Uh, like I said, um, I was born a poor Cuban boy on the island of Key West, and I had an uncle who was a music composer in Cuba, and when they migrated to this country, he kept in that world. And um, so I started singing and performing when I was just a young kid, fell in love with musical theater, fell in love with all types of performances, but I didn't really know... Um, where, where to where to dispense that energy or, or anything like that? And I remember um, in Key West we got uh, a television channel that on Saturday and Sunday afternoons played MGM musicals, and we're playing the Shirley Temple Theater. And I just fell in love with tap dancing and fell in love with um, you know Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, and I, I you know fell in love with all of those um, great. Um, MGM musicals and things. And um, I soon after that, I found a wonderful woman named Sheila Freeman, who was my first dance teacher. So basically, I've been performing from the age of about four, started formal training about 10, and um, launched my professional career at um, 17. Um, I'm a member of Actors' Equity. I've, I've, I've done musicals since I was a teenager, I've done everything you could ever possibly imagine. Summer stock, dinner theater, you know, Broadway tours. I've done, you know, I've done everything in show business you could possibly ever do. And um, somewhere along my career, you know, an actor's life is not the most steady income in the world. And um, I was a resident actor at the Tennessee Women's Fine Arts Center one year. And, um, I went to a club after uh, an opening night called the Copa in Key West. And all of a sudden, this show started, and there was this um, very heavy set, 
beautiful uh, drag queen that came on the stage called Claire Sheridan, who came out there and was just dazzling, an amazing performer. And um, I had never seen drag before. I didn't even know such a thing existed. And um, so that was like my first experience with drag. Shortly after that, um, we were doing um, a run of Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. And Claire, uh, Richard was his name, had come to see the show and asked to meet me backstage and said, I don't know if you know who I am, but I, I have a show at the Copa. And I said, oh, yeah, you're Claire, aren't you? And he kind of um, asked me, back then the Weather Girls were very popular, It's Rainy Men. And because I was a full-figured gal myself, he asked if I would um, come in and do a sister act with him. And you had been looking for somebody to do that number with, and he thought, you know, my dancing ability and stuff like that would be great. And I was like, well, you know, I've never really done anything like that. And, and that's how kind of how Angel Sheridan was born out of doing that, that one number with her. And um, she kind of became a mentor to me. And we did that. It was, did a couple of those things, and it was fun, and it was just something to do. But, you know, an actor's life moves on. So then, you know, I got into a touring company and was going here and there and there and here doing different musicals. And um, uh, I was in between shows, and I said, let me go do this talent show over here at a place called the Parliament House. And um, did a talent show there. The owner at the time, Michael Hodge, for whatever reason, just fell in love with me and um, told the show director to hire me. Now, this was somebody who had barely done anything. You know, I barely knew makeup. I barely knew anything like that. Uh, but I guess he had seen something in me that he liked. So um, I was unemployed at the time as an actor. So um, Angel, the professional Angel Sheridan was born at the Parliament House here in Orlando. And um, it just grew. And what I loved about uh, going back and forth at that point in my career was that, you know, when you're doing a musical, um, you have a director's vision, you have a choreographer's vision, you have a costumer who designs the costume. And basically you take all those elements of their visions and you, you make their visions work within your character. What I loved about drag and when I was doing it was that I was my own choreographer I was my own costume designer. I was my own director. I chose what music I wanted to do. And, um, you know, it was all up to me. The, the entire creative situation was all up to me. So if it succeeded or if it failed, you know, um, it was all on me. You know, like I couldn't blame a bad production on, a, on bad direction or bad lighting or bad costuming, you know, because I yeah. made all those decisions. And um, I really liked um, the creative juices that that, that that made it flow. So as this persona of Angel Sheridan became to solidify itself in my life, I kept flipping back and forth between doing drag and doing theater and doing drag and doing theater. And then I, I, hit, a, I hit a spot in my life where I was too old to play certain parts and too young to play others. And because I was a character type, um, people were just telling me, oh, you're wonderful, but 
you're just too young. You're just too young. You're just too young. And I kept hearing that over and over and over again. And um, the more I heard that in my theatrical career, the more I heard, oh, my God, you're fantastic. You're wonderful. You're this, you're that. Um, in my drag career and more work that I got and more clubs that I was performing at and more um, situations that presented themselves. Now, I have to tell you, um, as far as my drag career is concerned, I have been the luckiest son of a gun, okay, <laughs> just so you don't get fired. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the luckiest son of a gun in the world because um, I, I've never pursued um, any of the opportunities that were put out in front of me. I kind of was at the right place at the right time, you know, and I think a lot of it had to do with my, with my, my training and my upbringing as an actor, that I was always trying to get better, always trying to be right. Um, I was never satisfied, you know. Once, once I met one goal, there was three other goals that I needed to meet. Um, and I never, I never got stagnated. I never got... Um, I never stopped trying to develop as an artist and as a performer, kept challenging myself, always, always looking for the next level. What's the next level. I always had good people to inspire me. I always had good people to look up to me, people that I could turn to in the drag world and say, Hey, how do you do this? Or how do you go about that? And, you know, and I had some wonderful mentors that said, you know, don't try to be this. We already have that. Get that element that you liked, the, the high energy, the, the, the funny, the funny but classy, the, you know, and, and, and put that into your persona, but don't be a carbon copy of anyone else. So I kind of took my actor's training and the people who were inspiring me as drag and started to create this persona who really, as an artist, is still developing because as music styles come and go, you know, your, your presentation of your art changes as fashion trends come and go, as uh, even, even the drag styles. You know, I started when, when, uh, when you wanted to be as realistic as possible. So, like, you wore as little makeup as possible. You just wanted to look like a girl. We called it the fish look. We wanted to be fishy. You yes. know, so our lashes were just so, you know, just big enough to be a little bit more than real, but, you know, not, you know, not like a clown. And, you know, that was the trend. Then the trend changed to club kids, uh -huh. you know, and then it was all about being so over the top, you know, and the base was clown white and this and that and the other. And even though I never really crossed over into that, my drag was influenced by getting bigger and brighter and more, you know, and I've seen so, so many trends come and go um, in the drag world. Now it's, it's, uh, it's uh, almost a blessing and a curse that drag is everywhere, you know, that it's so accepted because I'm telling you now, if, you, if you're a lazy drag nowadays, you can forget about it because there's, <laughs> yeah. a, lot of, there's a lot out there you know, um, for you to, to help you be good. So you can tell a, you can tell a lazy, a lazy drag queen from a mile away now. And, um, it, 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 you know, it keeps you on your toes. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. So many things are available to us now. So many companies cater to what we need, you know, where back in the day when I started, you had to make it, 
You had to find it. You had to create it. You know, um, yeah. now oh, yeah. it's everywhere. Now you click on Amazon, you know, and it's hi, drag heaven, you know, in every other category. So it's, it's really, it's really a wonderful time to be doing drag. Um, because you could be just about anything. You could have just about any type of aesthetic you want, you know, and um, people always ask me, well, what's your aesthetic? What's your aesthetic? And, you know, I never really thought about that for, for a long time. I just knew that this was a persona that I worked on, you know, and this is who I am. This is who I was. And, uh, you know, the kind of things that I do. And um, I was at, <laughs> believe it or not, calling Drag Queen Bingo in Michigan about two and a half <laughs> years ago. And this young man came up to me uh, under the influence of God knows what. But I was taking pictures with some of the ladies who had um, uh, rented out the event for a bachelorette party. And when it was done, he was just standing there looking at me in, like, stunned amazement. And I said, oh, were you waiting to take a picture? He goes, what are you? And I looked at him and I said, excuse me? He goes, what are you? You look amazing. You're like a human cartoon. <laughs> that's what I refer to myself. I am a human cartoon, you know, and I'm I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know? And I just thought that was the best moment of my career. I'm like, that's my aesthetic, human cartoon. <laughs> that's awesome. That is that is awesome, and and that paints a picture. You know, for for those of us that have had sight, you know, we can definitely slide that into into the persona feeling right now. Wow. Right. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I would have been, I would have been on cloud nine for, for days, if not weeks after that, if, you know, if I was a performer. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it's, it's really, really a, an amazing thing. The people I've gotten to meet in my life. Like I said, I've been the luckiest son of a gun. Uh, I've had opportunities. Uh, you know, I toured eight years with an evening at Lacage in different productions throughout the country. I ran a club in New York City um, for 23 years where I was the show director, and I got to um, put together my vision of what a, a drag follies would be. The productions, the feathers, the sequins, the rhinestones, the, the, you know, just everything, and doing it in the middle of New York City in Times Square where all the Broadway shows are and all that kind yes. of stuff was just, was just a dream come true. And it was from a person who saw me at a show that I was in, that another person saw me from another show who took me from another show who saw me at another show, you know, and I've always been lucky that my, that I've been pre prepared, um, you know, work ethics wise um, for that next level. Even if I didn't know what that next level was, you could call it, you know, the, 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 the greater God, the karma, you know, whatever, whatever, the, whatever the higher power that looks over us has always said, okay, you said you want to go to this next level. Here it is. And sometimes I've gotten to that level and gone, what in, yeah, how did this happen? Yes. You know, but you know, I've lowered, you know, you lower your head. And I think this comes from having an immigrant background, you know, that my family's from Cuba and they came to this country with nothing and they worked or whatever. You know, you never turn down an opportunity. You go in and even if you don't know exactly what you're doing, you fake it till you make it. And you just keep putting your nose to the grindstone. 
And I know so many people don't do things in life because they're scared of failure. And I'm like, failure is the best in the world. When you don't succeed at something, that's when you learn. That's okay. That yeah. didn't work. What can I do now? I said, because if you just succeed and succeed and succeed, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm the bomb, you know? And a lot of girls get stuck in that. And all of a sudden, you're not the bomb, <laughs> you know? So it, it, it's just a matter of keeping your head down and keep on going, 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 going. I have got a lot of questions for you, but I want to go personal for a second. Um, I'm a New York City boy. I was born and raised in Staten Island primarily. Lived a couple other places, but I've got to ask you, did you ever perform at Spectrum in Brooklyn? Yes, <laughs> I sure did. With Jessica I, Fox? Yes, Miss Jessica Fox. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh my, my God, second- I cannot tell you. I cannot tell you the day I got to Spectrum, I, I didn't know anything about it. Um, so you didn't know Saturday Night Fever was filmed there? <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea. And I, I went there. And, of course, being, being a disco baby, like, I, you know, I graduated high school in the middle of the disco era. So, like, staying alive and um, Saturday Night Fever and Donna Summers and all that, that's the soundtrack of, of my teenage years. You know, and um, so I, I meet Jessica Fox, and um, she calls me. She has this booking for me, whatever, whatever, whatever. Then I meet somebody else who's who's booking over there. So she takes me over there. Her name was um, Dina. Dina, yes. And, huh? I said Dina, yes. Yes, Dina. So I'm, I'm there, you know, I go to this place, this is where it is, it's here. I said, okay, fine. So I get in my little car service, we get over there, whatever, I have no idea. And I'm just in the dressing room. They said, oh, you go through those doors, it's a dance floor, it's a step up, it's this, it's that. And I walk out there and it was the most mind-blowing experience. Mind you, this is like just a few months after I got to New York. And I was flabbergasted. I mean, I was making such a fool of myself that I actually, I have, there's somewhere there's video of me laying on that floor and people <laughs> on top of a chair videoing me. So, and I was doing like disco moves on the lights of the floor. Girl, it is that quite possible. I was one of the ones there. <laughs> I, I, it is beyond. It is beyond. <laughs> For our listeners who, who may not know, Saturday Night Fever starred John Travolta um, and the iconic, uh, at the time that the movie was filmed, the club was called 2001 Odyssey, I believe. And um, the floor is iconic because it's lit from underneath. It's raised up from the rest of the room and the, every square is, is you know, there's multicolor lights underneath. So at one at one moment, it's orange. At one moment, it's blue. It's green. And, and there's some sort of patternization you know electric i'm not a guru in that way i don't know how they do it but when the lights are down yeah that was one of the first things that was synchronized to music yep and so you know anyone who's seen that movie and and if you're from new york especially if you have family in brooklyn you've seen that movie multiple times by the time you walk through that door and and that you know the club is pumping the music's going the lights it's it's like it's the most amazing experience (laughs) so one more quick personal question um by the way i know you just said i know you just said earlier for those of you 
who don't know Saturday Night Fever was a movie, how dare you? How dare you not know Saturday Night Fever? Just how dare you? No matter how old you are, you need to know Saturday Night Fever, people. <laughs> Girl, I feel you. Some of our most iconic disco music came out of that and, and just the look, the, the store, everything. Yes. I don't know if it's audio described, but we will find out from Dr. Joel Snyder if it is and where we can find it because everybody yeah. should experience Saturday Night Fever. That's one more personal one. I used to do, um, uh, oh, excuse me, karaoke at pieces. And um, I cannot remember her performing name. His, his name was Kenny. And I, um, he looked like Bonnie Tyler. <laughs> that was one of my favorites too he had the bawdiest craziest amazing personality well she had i should say um and that was a phenomenal phenomenal time period um okay so <clears throat> moving along i have a couple of questions that came when we announced we were doing this program we asked uh for questions that came from some of the listeners that are out there right now and the first one, I'm sure you've heard a thousand times, if you've heard it once. And <laughs> please forgive me, I know the answer to this, but do you really actually tape it back? And how does that work? <laughs> um, well, oh my gosh. Oh, we're going to go there. Um, <laughs> mostly, um, there are performers who tape it back. Um, however, most of those performers are, um, are transgendered performers who don't wear pads and don't wear, um, too many pairs of tights and those kind of things. Um, because most transgender performers use their bodies as, um, they, they just have more, more nudity, you know, more skin showing. So, um, they, they do use. Um, industrial strength, 3D duct tape or better, um, not the stuff you get at the dollar store that doesn't really stick. Um, yes, there is taping done. However, most drag queens uh, like myself or ones who um, wear hip pads and things of that nature, um, we use what's called a tuck panty, which is like a man's dance belt or um, just something to keep you tucked away, because then what gives you the smoothness in that area is the layers of tights and fishnets and things that you're putting on. The the next question that I have is about RuPaul. Um, the person who the person asked, "Have you ever met RuPaul?" But I I want to go and add to that question. In your opinion, and this this um, this program is is um, from Angel Sheridan's point of view, is RuPaul the one that kicked open the door for drag performance? Well, um, just a little history on myself. Um, when I was touring with an evening at Lacage, I met this woman called Suzanne Barsh, and she was an organizer of all these club kids, and she would do these amazing shows all over the country and in Europe. I got to tour with her for a while, and I got to tour with RuPaul before her record dropped. Mm. So I knew RuPaul before RuPaul was RuPaul. And um, it was crazy how things work. Um, we were in Miami at the Delano Hotel doing an evening at La Cage, and Suzanne had booked 
um, a party at uh, the Warsaw Ballroom on Miami Beach and asked if I could come and perform and things of that nature. And I said, sure. I came and I did my, my, um, my spoof on Cher um, for the show, and RuPaul was the hostess of the show. And I remember waiting in the wings for RuPaul to introduce me, and she said to them, hey, guys, you know, I recorded this little song that, um, uh, that is going to be released later on this year, and I hope you like it. I'm going to do a little bit of it for you now. And she did Supermodel. Work. And the people were like, they were attending. They were, they were attentive, but no big deal, right? No huge deal. Then I came out and I did my number and everybody else did their thing. And, you know, I got to meet all of them and all that kind of stuff. And um, about a year, about a year later, or maybe less than a year later, I get a phone call from Suzanne and she said, hey, who's going to be um, doing a concert at uh, the Warsaw Ballroom again? And she wants to know if you want if you do a number and introduce her. And I said, oh, sure, I would love to. Now, mind you, she was the hottest ticket in town, and nobody got into the Warsaw Ballroom, you know, without holding, holding people at gunpoint, you know, <laughs> to see her concert. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to see this concert now. Um, and she came out there in the same kind of same look, same everything, and the people were throwing themselves onto the stage. So it's amazing what a little bit of, time and exposure and stuff like that will do. Um, Cause it was the same number she had done before, you know, and everything. And now of course she was the, the infamous RuPaul with, you know, she had just, just been everywhere, MTV and everything. So it, it, girl, it, you it, better work. <laughs> yeah. I've been around a long time. They don't call me the drag dinosaur for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> So in your opinion, did, did she kick the door open? She did. She absolutely did. She, she was part of, to me, she was part of the, um, like part of the trifecta of, of gayness. Um, that came, that came, things came on the heels of each other. You know, Wigstock and Will and Grace and RuPaul, all those phenomenons were like little grains of little, little, um, what can I say? Little snowflakes that started down the hill and became bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, bigger. and as Will and Grace made gay relationships more understandable through laughter, um, more empathetic, that we're really not that different. We all have these same problems. We all have these same things in life. We all carry as unique as being gay is, it's just the same as everybody else. We have the same problems. You know what I mean? And, Absolutely. you know, and, and RuPaul just opened, opened the door with, um, you know, I think if it would have been another, another person, another drag act who had a different persona, um, it wouldn't, it, it may not have worked. But because she came on larger than life, she's beautiful, she had so much money behind her and so many people behind her, which, which she, she was already a fantastic entertainer. You know what I mean? But Absolutely. sometimes you need, you need the bigger picture made around you, you know? 
And she had the publicity behind her. She had the money behind her. She had the look. She had the fashion. And she had the message. Yes. You know, be who you are. Everything is beautiful. Everything in life can be a drag if you let it be. You know what I mean? Everything in life can, you know, we're born naked and everything else is drag. Because think about it. You know, um, hip-hop boys, it's just drag. <laughs> you know? You know, it, leather men. It's just drag. You know, they're all costumes. We all costume ourselves to who we want to be. You know, we, the, 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 little, the, little, the little boys now that wear the short sleeve nerd shirts, okay, yes. they spend 12 hours at the gym working out. They wear little short sleeve nerd shirts and little bow ties. They're not nerds. They're muscle queens. <laughs> but that's the look they're doing. That's drag. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> It's yes. Sad. It's sad. You know, you're, you're being something you're not, and you're becoming it. You know what I mean? And it's a beautiful thing. Bring who you are on the inside. Bring it out. If it's colorful, if it's, if it's grunge, if it's whatever it is, if it's 35 piercings, let it be 35 piercings. You know, it, it's just, it's, we're just people. We're just people finding our way in life, you know, hoping to find other people that are like-minded or people who are completely opposite-minded that open your eyes to something new, you know? And that's what I think she did. She opened middle America's eyes to what drag really is. You know what I mean? I think if there would have been a person with a different message coming across, like more of a bitchy or more of a, I don't know, just a different, just a different message, I don't think it would have caught on. But her message was so refined and so positive when she first started you know, that you couldn't help but to love her. Yeah, you know absolutely. What I mean? She wasn't a man. She wasn't a woman. She was this other thing. She was this, she was this other, she was another type of entity, you know, and the positivity that flowed out of her, which I know had to have been exhausting for her as a person. You know what I mean? Because sometimes you just want to be a, um, you know, a bitch, you know? <laughs> sometimes you just have to like, you know, um, get frustrated and she never, she just, you know, whatever flowed from her was nothing but positivity, which made people want to accept, want to understand, want to be around that positive energy. So, and you know, I, I do insult comedy in my act. I'm, I, you know, you saw that, but I do that. I do it in positive ways. I you never do. go for, I never go for uh, a, a shortcoming. I never go for a, uh, you know, something to, to me, you know, my, my self-deprecating humor that starts with me first. So then if I make fun of someone else or I make a joke about somebody else, it's okay. You know, it's a joke. You know what I mean? I do. So, and, and she just, she just had that message. You know, she never crossed the line into, I'm not judging you for judging me. I'm just showing you my arms are open to accept everyone, you know, and, and that's the way I try to live. You know what I mean? You know, at Hamburger Mary's, it's shocking to me times, the amount of, of, of people who come from, I hate to say this word because it has a negative connotation, but they call themselves rednecks or they call themselves country people who are not exposed to any of this. And they come in not knowing what to expect, a little nervous, a little scared, a little, you know, and all of that is just lifted away because we're just here to have fun. I don't need you to accept what I do in the bedroom. 
I just need you to come here and have fun and know that I'm another human being, you know, and that we're going to coexist in this beautiful world together. You know, I'm not judging you for what you do. Don't judge you for what I do. And the world is going to be a better place. Absolutely. You opened up when we were when we were at Hamburger Mary's and it was it was right before the election and things were well, things still are. But, you know, it was definitely a tension, a tension, you know, wrought time period and place. And I remember you came right out and I, I could never say it the way you said it or even remember your exact wording. But it was basically I don't care about red or blue. We're all red, white and blue. And, and, you know, had the crowd going and it was just amazing. And, yeah. and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. There were some people that were from a, a certain part of Florida that uh, has a much more redneck reputation. You, you picked and poked and then told, you know, straight up about, you know, being a political Cuban boy from, from uh, Key West and just had everybody. I mean, we all were just, we were all there together and we were laughing at the, the ones you were picking on and, and elevating and loving uh, the two little kids that were there. Uh, it was, it was just, it, it's drag, a drag performance when it's done right, when it's done like that is an absolute amazing experience. And, and I strongly hope that everybody that's listening when, when it's your right time COVID wise to go out, or if you can get to hamburger Mary's where they social distance perfectly, you know, ex- try it out. It's, it's amazing. Um, you won't regret uh, it. You know, one of the biggest things in my life that I've run into, I've run into a lot of, of, Gay people, um, you know, who say to me, oh, I don't, I don't like drag. You know, I don't really like drag. I came here because, you know, da-da-da. He says, but, oh, my gosh, you know, you're fantastic. You were great. We had such a great time. That I said, sweetie, take that out of your mind. Nobody in the world hates drag. What you hate is bad drag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like anything. Nobody wants to go hear a bad singer. Nobody wants to see a bad dancer. Nobody wants to see a bad drag show. So the people who say, I hate drag, how can you hate drag? We're fantastic. We're like little beautiful clowns that are wound up and ready to serve you and make you laugh and feel good about yourself. You know, what is there to hate? You know what I mean? What is there to hate? There's nothing to hate. It's all about the level of drag that you're going to go see. Unfortunately, there's all levels out there. There's good and there's bad and everything. As performers, we also, um, you know, there's an evolution to our act. So I was very fortunate that I had been acting for so many years and performing for so many years that um, I came in semi-developed, I guess you might say. Um, But a lot of girls, they have to start somewhere, you know. So there's no such thing as I hate drag shows. You just hate bad ones. And drag when it's at its best is is really burlesque. It's an homage to burlesque. It's it's you know you're gonna find all kinds of props, beautiful costuming. What I love about mm-hmm. um, Broadway is that you actually have Broadway caliber performers, up and coming young like, talent, and they're they're bringing their real vocal talent to to the act and and being and elevating it to an to an even bigger and better place. It's it's burlesque. It's a beautiful burlesque performed by men who like to perform as women or as a costume or as a cartoon. Yes. Yeah. I always I always I always tell people a good drag show is a combination of of Broadway, Las Vegas and old Hollywood. You throw all those three elements together. 
The performance yes, ability yeah. of threat on Broadway, the glitz and glamour and over-the-top costuming of Vegas shows, and then the elegance and the composure and the, the star quality of, of old 1950s Hollywood starlets. That's what makes the drag queen. No matter what your aesthetic is, you know, no matter what your aesthetic is, if you have those three, if you have those three elements, energy, performance, and stage presence, the ability to costume yourself well, you know, and elegance. There has to be, no matter what you do, you could be a grunge performer in drag, but there has to be an element of elegance to what you're doing because nobody wants to see sloppy. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So there there were a couple of questions that, um, you know, kind of are repetitive, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to lump them into... Uh, performers like Lady Gaga and the performers of old, like um, Archie Bunker and certain sitcoms back in the day where you'd see, quote-unquote, female uh, you know, female impersonators. When, when you encounter um, performers like Gaga, do you feel that they're appropriating you know, your fabulousness? And do you look back to those classic female impersonator performers uh, for, you know, are they the ones, you know, are they, uh, you know, are they your forebearers, your foremamas? Well, you know, the, the thing with, um, with female performers is that um, now it's a give and take. However, um, you've got to remember, I mean, like, I don't know how, how many people know the word drag. It seems to be such a new thing, but, the word drag comes from theater when women weren't allowed to, to, yes. to, to be in shows. So drag just means dressed as girl. So like if you, would, if you would see an original Shakespeare script, it would say um, uh, like Romeo, young juvenile. It would say Juliet, um, young ingenue, parentheses, DR period, A period, G period which meant dressed as girl wow. because the, the male actor who originally played Juliet, that script, that lets you know that that part was dressed as a girl. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So because females weren't allowed to, to be in performance, correct. in performance venues at that point. Yes. Yes. So and even would, being on stage in the history of the world is relatively new. So as you come to the, to the 19th century, you know, and there's burlesque and there's vaudeville. I mean, some of the biggest acts in vaudeville in this country were European female impersonators that were brought in to do the Orpheus circuit and things like that. So all those things um, were something that has always existed. All of a sudden, with morality clauses and all these things and the panic in Hollywood, you know, um, drag all of a sudden became something very, very bizarre. And um, it, it became illegal to do it in vaudeville. You know, all vaudeville shows had a thing called the Nance. Yes. Which was a Nancy boy, which was, you know, basically a gay man who did a lot of puns. You know what I mean? Those acts were considered um, illegal at one point. So those had to disappear. The drag acts had to disappear as, as, 
things became more and more and more restricted. So where did they appear? They started, you know, the drag started appearing in uh, hidden gay places. So then in somewhere during the 50s, they would, you know, when the word queen was being used for gay men, that's when the term drag queen was coined. Oh, that, you know, that's a drag queen, you know, um, those kind of things. But from, from, I would say, mid-20th century, we took all of our stuff from Hollywood, from, from, from contemporary singers, you know, from Judy Garland, from, um, you know, Ann Miller and all these, all these entertainers and all these, you know, Ethel Mermans and all these people who were um, pop singers at the time and Broadway stars. And we recreated those and we, we, we did our personalities to them all of a sudden as drag has evolved, um, you know, and we get this little blonde Italian girl that's trying to get her music career going. And she only plays, only place the DJ that she's traveling with um, can get her booked at is gay bars. So this, you know, little Madonna is singing in gay bars and seeing everything that's happening in gay bars. And she's like, wait a minute, this is the ticket. Wait a minute, look what this is doing. Wait a minute, look what that one's doing. So Madonna explodes into the scene, you know, at the same time that, you know, right after we had people like Grace Jones in, you know, in from Europe and all of these people that were doing quotes over things, you know, and all of a sudden Madonna bursts out into the scene. And now all of a sudden, for a long time, we have singers imitating drag queens, imitating singers. (laughs) (laughs) God, the reflection of that, you know, she she is a singer to me. And I don't know if anybody has ever said this out loud, but to me, she is a singer with a drag queen work ethic and creativity. That's a great way to put it. Absolutely. Yeah. She's a singer, a recording artist with a drag queen, you know, sensibility with a drag queen, create creative mind with a drag queen, creative, you know, her visuals, her everything, you know, uh, other other singers, you know, other one of our icons is, you know, J-Lo. Look at her at 50-something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. She's that whole elegance, that whole thing. You know, Beyonce, you know, it's that performance. It's the, it's the costuming. You know, she, she wasn't about that. You know, Gaga spreads onto the scene. Now they're wearing beaded costumes and they're wearing furs. And, you know, Beyonce's got headpieces and she thinks she's Mother Teresa coming through. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. it's like, this has influenced everything. You know what I mean? And, you know, who came first, the chicken or the egg? You know what I mean? Because Madonna was put together, was put, totally put together her entire career by gay men. Oh you yeah, know? and she's and, she's I mean, taken what she's needed. She's given back where she needed to, and and really opened. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. They've never you know, denied it. You know, they they've never denied it, which is a beautiful thing. They're like, oh, Vogue. You know, Vogue was the, the girl. I, I you know I was still kind of young when Vogue came out, and um, you know people were losing their minds. We're like, oh, girl, we've been doing that for ten years. You know, uh-huh. like, what the, you know what I mean? Yep. Madonna just said, yep. this, we got to take this out of the basement. And, you know, we got to bring this upstairs to street level, you know? And like I said, 
Same thing with RuPaul. We got to take this drag out of the basement and bring it up to street level. It just took money. It took investment. It took the right creative team and the right vehicle. You, you know what I'm saying? It's the, same, it's the same process. You know, somebody saw something, was able to put together all the elements it took to make it enormous. You know, it, it had been happening. Nothing that Madonna had ever done, nothing that Madonna has ever done has not ever been created in a gay bar. Yeah. Not any of her look, not her nakedness, not her, you know, nothing, nothing. Everything, all of that has developed out of where she grew up from. All of Gaga's things are, are what was created in the late 90s when all the club kids were experimenting and doing all they, you know, she is like, she is like the love child of Richie Rich and uh, Madonna to me. You, you know who yeah. Richie Rich is? He was a club yeah. Oh, kid, yeah. you know? Uh-huh. He's like the, James St. James. You know, she's and, like uh-huh. that of all those things, there's a piece of Lavinia in there. There's a piece of, of all these different club kids from the 90s that has survived and has, has all come out through her, through her live performance, through genius music, through l- lyrics of positivity, through lyrics that, that show you the dark side of something. You know, all those kind of things. All of that came out of gay bars. You know, and, and it's a beautiful is, thing. Drag queens have pushed everything forward. You know what I mean? Absolutely. There is um there is a movement um for transgender performers that has really taken and taken shape. What can you share with us about the struggles for transgender youth and and why so many go into performing? Um. Uh, well, I think it's. Part of the thing is, is that some kids, depending on what part of the country you're from, are, are lost. They don't feel accepted by their community because of upbringing, religious beliefs, uh, homophobia in their family, um, latent homosexuality that's kept under wraps, so they have to act out against it in someone else. So um, performing and coming into a gay bar and wanting to be a drag queen for some people is about acceptance, you know, because I always say, you know, every Halloween, 10 drag queens are born because yeah. <laughs> yes. drag and, and, and their eyelashes are going to be crooked and their knees are going to be buckling in their high heels and they're, they're not wearing this right kind of pantyhose and, you know, you could still see their beard through their makeup. But one of their friends or somebody's going to tell them, girl, you look fantastic. Oh, my God, you're beautiful. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that's going to be an epiphany for people, you know? And, oh, this is, this is what I'm meant to be. But there's something else that happens. The they feel accepted. They feel um, like they found a, a place where, you know, they could be themselves, a creative outlet where the normal world or what they consider the normal world wouldn't be so accepting of them. Yeah. You know, I was a club kid in the nineties. I was a baseball player by day and a club kid by night. And what people don't, what people don't understand and, and, and no one ever really told the story the right way is that there were families that were born, you know, a lot of, a lot of famous gay personal personas have always said, you know, you're born into one family and then you find or choose your family, your real family later on in life. And so I'm saying all this because when 
when they come to to the club and they they do their their got their gaga their googling and their awing and eyeing i have never seen more fierce love more protective love more more you know baby girl you're going to be okay or baby boy you're going to be okay kind of love than than with a with with a, with drag troops with drag performers there is a fierce protective love come on we're gonna we're gonna help you find who you are feeling yeah and that that is also a something that comes that's been passed down historically from from many different performance avenues especially from from when when things crossed over from europe i mean what did old opera divas do they took two or three other young divas under their wings. When I'm no longer able to sing, I'm going to teach you everything that I know and help you succeed. And through that, I live on, you know, and then they got too old to do what they did. And then they had somebody. I mean, Maria Callas gave master classes in opera to people yep, to Beverly bring them Hills. up. Mm-hmm. You can't be an opera diva. You know what I mean? And, and what that, that was the same thing with drag queens and, or people who were drag actors in theater. Some boys were specifically trained to do nothing but female parts in shows. You know what I mean? And you had a mentor who trained you. Like ballerinas have mentors that work specifically with them on their arms, on their legs. Some ballerinas were trained to only do Swan Lake. Don't, yeah. don't, you're never going to learn another, another dance in your life. You're just going to be Swan Lake. You know, and that's how that's how that kind of thing evolved. It got passed down and passed down and passed down somewhere along the line between between the 50s to the 60s. You know, as things started changing, all of a sudden we have uh, a, a little bit more of an open mind, a little bit more of of gay acceptance. Stonewall happens. But then the the dark side of Stonewall is you want to be a little bit more open. You want to be a little bit more free but not in my house. So get out. You're 14 yeah. years old. You're getting get out. You're a get out, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. So now you're not just necessarily mentoring somebody who wants to be a drag queen or who wants to be this or who wants to be that you're collecting a stray in and you're telling yeah. them, come on, you're going to be right. I'm going to make you an extravaganza. I'm going to make you a house of couture. I'm going to make you, you know what I'm saying? And they formed yeah. these voguing houses, but it wasn't just about what they did at night in these balls. It was about that. If there was, if there was a package of ramen noodles and there were 12 of you, 12 of you ate a package of ramen noodles. Yeah. You weren't left out. You know what I mean? It didn't yeah. matter what your race was. Didn't matter what your class was. Didn't matter what your religion was. It just mattered that you were loyal to your clan. So you were, um, you know, building your own clan, building your own family, building your own thing. And that thing has become, now we have drag daughters. You know, I've got a, I've got a very successful drag daughter, um, you know, who's performing and just it's battling the country and everything. You know, I had one that passed away a few years ago from cancer. And these are people that I took under my wing. And I said, You'd, I don't want you to be me. I never gave my last name to anyone, you know, because I wanted them to be their own person. I wanted them as an actor. I wanted them to be, to create their own persona. I didn't want them to have a character trait of their mothers. I wanted them to be their own person. Um, but that still lives on, 
you know, and the need of having that next generation live on and on and on and on and on. Now, you know, now drag has become a little bit something different. It's less about performance and more about reading and carrying on and trying to be fierce and this and that and the other. And I'm like, I look at the younger generation. I'm like, you're going to wake up one day and realize it's not about reading, you know, because you reading me about something doesn't make you better. What makes you better is, you know, working on that costume, working on that new song, perfecting that dance move. What am I going to do next? You know, I'm going to try this type of music now. I'm going to do this type of music or that. Am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? Am I going to go to the next level or am I going to die? You know, um, and, and that's what I think is lacking in some of the, in some of the experience today where drag is so much easier to do, but it's a lot harder to do well. Yeah. There is something to be said for those days when, you know, you had to make your costumes, you had to, you know, you had to to put all of it together, your lighting, your everything, because it it wasn't, it wasn't a business. It was a business, but it wasn't, you know, a marketing, a marketable business like it is now. And, but there was something to be said for the the quality that came out most of the time, you know, there's always been bad. I Everybody thinks now they see it on TV. They think it's easy. They don't realize that a, that a true drag queen for every minute that you see on stage, there's 20, 30 hours of work behind it. You know what I mean? And if there isn't, you're not doing your job, you know, you're not doing what you're supposed to do well. You know what I mean? If you didn't, if you didn't spend time perfecting something and doing it, you know, and I always tell like my daughters and stuff, what is this song? Oh, the song says this. No, no, no. I don't want to know what the song, I don't want to know the lyrics. What is the song saying to you? Because anybody, anybody, a five-year-old can lip sync to a record. Your artistry comes in the interpretation of the song. Which is because what a great musical song? artist will tell you, a pianist, a dra- you know, a uh, jazz trumpeter. They, they're, you know, I, I remember so vividly a, a pianist um, and, and the, um, the teacher arguing back and forth. And, and he's telling her, put yourself into this. Talk to me through the music. Techn- you know, you can be technically brilliant. And Maria Callas, actually, you mentioned her before. You know, she's she's famous for saying, you know, opera before callous was just beautiful exhibition there and it was it was beautiful but you didn't know if they were happy or sad screaming going insane and then callous came along and taught you know the new then for her that new wave of opera singers to put to put the to put the emotion back into it to to actually be a living part of the beautiful music and and that's 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 what you're saying right now it's beautiful yeah, that's the same thing. It's the same thing with, you know, with every art form. You know when something is mechanical, you can feel it. it even in like, even in like, a, like a painting or something, when something is mechanical, well, yes, it's beautiful, but where's the, where's the point of view? Where is, you know, where is this? Where is that? And I always, I always tell people, tell me what the song, tell me what you're going to convey in the song. Give me the subtext of the song. Because if you're just spouting out lyrics, a three-year-old can do that. A three-year-old can literally learn to lip-sync to a song. Lip-syncing, they say, oh, she's such a talented lip-synker. I said, if, if that was the best thing that can be said about my performance, don't say anything at all. Yeah, I, I, I did not do my job. Five years, 
is that she did a good lip sync job. I want to shoot myself in the head <laughs> because yes. that's not, that's not the talent. Lip syncing is not the talent. Lip syncing is the skill. You know what and I the mean? Same the thing talent can be, is how you, the song, how you present it. And the same so, thing can be said on the flip side, because you can put, you can get the perfect makeup. You can get the perfect costume for built for your body, et cetera, et cetera. But when you step out on that stage, if you're not conveying anything with it, then, Oh my gosh, she's beautiful, but you know I didn't walk yeah. away feeling and anything. And they're dead behind the eyes. They're dead. they're completely dead behind the eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the perfect transition. I know. Um, yesterday you were rehearsing for some performances this weekend. Could you paint a picture of you know most of us are there's low vision, there's partials, et cetera, that will have some vision and they'll see um, the performance that we're gonna that we're gonna run a little bit later on. But could you paint? a picture for us from costume rehearsal to actually being out on that stage, being the fabulous Miss Angel Sheridan. Can you walk us through what makes your performance? Because this is from your perspective. I'm, you know, other drag performers can, can, you know, approach it their way, but what is, what is it for you? Can you paint that picture for us? Well, for me, um, I've always, uh, approach things from a from a theatrical side so i always like in my personal music i always try to think of first of all can the audience relate to this music okay and how am i going to present this music and then i i put a set of goals to myself this is what i want it to look like this is what i want visually to look like I want the dress. Am I paying an homage to the character of the Broadway show? Am I paying an homage to the singer? Am I, am I just doing my own thing? Am I reinterpreting something that is already recorded and making it fit into something that I'm giving you? So those, that decision is like the first one done, you know? Um, so let's just say I'm recreating a Broadway moment, you know? Um, then it's a matter of finding the right kind of fabrics, finding the right kind of, you know, accents to the costume, the decorations, the rhinestones, the feathers, the making sure that it's a, it's a silhouette that fits the era of where the music was recorded or where the show is set. Because all of those things being, um, when all of those things come together, it makes for a better performance. You know, um, anybody could do any song in just a beautiful black dress. But if you're doing Hello, Dolly, you know, mm -hmm. for those of you who know what the traditional red Hello, Dolly is with an apron in the front, uh, the long white gloves, the, the red feather headdress, you know, I can go and perform, well, hello, Dolly, well, hello, in a black dress and give you a vocal performance that you love or a lip sync performance that you'll love and it'll be just great or whatever. But if I bust out through the door, you know, and I'm looking like a traditional Broadway dolly or, or take the silhouette and give it a, a spin on it, then all of a sudden you've just added another wow factor. You know, then yeah. if your choreography is good, if you're, you know, it's all about the many layers. You know, it's a seven layer cake that you're building when you do drag. You know, and the more layers you can add to that, the better your performance is going to be. And I know there's a lot of people who think, oh, you know, less is more. Not when it comes to drag. 
I'll go. Uh-huh. More will always be more when it comes to drag. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. There is a point where it's too much, rarely, but <laughs> yes, absolutely. So you were you were uh, rehearsing yesterday, and I think your performances are uh, this evening. Um, so tell us the day of performance. You know, it, you it does not take you twenty minutes to get ready. It doesn't take you. You know, it's not it's it's not a process that you you put on the dress, you apply a little makeup, and you're good to go. How long do you rehearse a new number for? And then tell us what you know getting ready for the actual performance is like. Well, uh, it, it it all depends on on uh, what the number entails. For example. Um, our opening and closing productions, we could be rehearsing that for a month or we could be rehearsing it for a, for a day, depending on what's required for that number. The difficulty of the dancing, how many people are in it, coordinating everything, making the costumes. So it, it can be something from putting something together in a week, something we did. We did um, Jingle Jangle over Christmas, which was a, a movie that came out over Christmas that we wanted to play an homage because it was really the first um, African-American themed Christmas movie that has ever been put out, yeah. you know, that was written for and done. And Jimmy did a beautiful production and homage to it. And that took us quite a while because it was all period costuming and very heavy on props and gloves and very particular hairdos and feathers and, and all those kind of things. So those kind of things, and and Jimmy is like I am. Jimmy's our producer, by the way. (laughs) Very particular on the details. It's all in the details. Everybody sees the general silhouette, but what makes something go from good to extraordinary is the details. You know, and I have costumes, uh, like right now I'm working on a costume where I have been hand-beating uh with glass beads, tassels for six months. Wow. For a costume. And that costume is um, not going to be ready till Mardi Gras. So it's another two weeks. So I would have been almost seven months working on one costume because I want the detail to be just so. Is it a flat-inspired kind of thing? or It's it's a cross between a, uh, I would say a, a gay '90s um, can-can look, okay, with a little bit of. Repeat that one song. I'm sorry. I said repeat that last part. We had a, a breakup. Sorry. Oh, it's a it's a combination of of, of a gay '90s can-can look and Las Vegas. Okay. Yes, yeah, showgirl. So <laughs> showgirl. Yeah, showgirl but with, with a vintage feel to the bodice and those kind of things. So I'm very inspired by a lot of things that Bob Mackie does for like Vegas shows and the things that he does for, um, for his actresses when he puts things together for different shows and things. I love the texturing and the layering of, of where he does beads and sequins and rhinestones all on top of each other to add yeah. texture and to add layer and to do all that stuff. And all of that unfortunately takes a lot of time, but more than that takes a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Did I say a lot? Cause I meant a lot of money. <laughs> you know, um, it's, uh, it's one of those things where like, I can't believe how long it take you to make that. And I'll say, Oh, I made this, you know, and I will, 
I will have worked um, months worth of pay into one costume. So, you know, then I have to work three months to make enough. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, but I make things so that they last. Like I have costumes in my wardrobe that are 30 years old because oh, nice. I've made them. I take care of them well. I buy, you know, I get, usually try to get nothing but the best quality stuff because nobody wants to keep spending $300 every week, you know, yeah. every week, every week, every week, making the same thing again, you know? You buy it, you make it, you make it good, or you have somebody make it for you, you know, and you make it so that it'll last your entire career. So the night or the Sunday morning of the show, walk us through it. Well, it starts with an uh, with uh, shaving, showering, and starting with makeup. Uh, my makeup process, um, kind of beginning to end, um, I give it a two-hour window. It takes about an hour and 45 minutes or so, and then 15 or 20 minutes or so to get all your undergarments on and get everything ready for whatever production it is. So like, like for example, today, um, in an hour, I'll start getting ready. I'll start putting on makeup, um, and then I'll drive to Hamburger Mary's, and then we'll have a quick brush-up rehearsal, and then we'll have another hour to finish putting on lashes and last minute things, making sure the wig is okay and that kind of stuff. So beginning to end getting ready is usually about a three hour process. All right. And we're going to continue on with the very last five minutes of this presentation in just a moment. But first we want to get those CEU codes. Okay, Brian, you ready? We're ready. Okay, everybody get your pencils out. It, the, Final code is zero seven one two five, and I will repeat the code zero seven one two five. And thank you much. I hope everybody had a nice day. Awesome. All right, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna thank finish you. off the um <clears throat> the last five minutes. I'm staying. The, yep. Cool. We're gonna finish off the last five minutes of this presentation, and then we will close down the room. And uh, thank you, everyone, for sticking around. Oh, yeah, that's, that's love. <laughs> that's love. <laughs> well, you know, and like I said, it, I, I have done a 15 minute fake, but that's, you know, that's, that's when skill. Have to be necessary, but you never feel as comfortable about the way you look as when you take your time doing it. So you know, has, you learn that. yeah. And that skill though, to be able to do a 15 minute face, um, COVID has hit everybody hard. What has COVID done for, for Hamburger Mary's and, and Broadway? Well, I have to say we're very fortunate that we were able to open up as soon as we were. Um, but we had a, quite a lot of time off. And, um, you know, it, it, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of performers out there who uh, have been financially ruined, basically, because of it. Um, you know, this is, this is half my income, if not more. And when we weren't, when we weren't able to do shows, um, you know, I, I went through my savings from those few months. And, um, now that, now that we're back, you know, we're still performing at that level and I'm still trying to keep my costumes and my looks and my wigs and, you know, everything that goes with it, you know, makeup is a one-time use. So if your face costs you $30 to do, you can't put that makeup back in the tube. That's, that's overhead, yeah. you know? So now that most places are about half the capacity, 
we're making half the money we were making, but we're still expected to be at the same level. Well, thank you so very much. We got a history lesson. We got a intimate behind the makeup look. Um, Jimmy so very generously gave us a Aladdin with the other Disney themes inspired performance. Can you tell us a little bit about it before we run it? Oh, I love this. Um, this is very high energy and it's, it's, um, a great performance, uh, by the Broadway brunch bunch, uh, with the genie and Aladdin. And this incorporates, um, comedy as well as, as, the best of Las Vegas and the best that Broadway has to offer. I mean, they really, this one production number in the show, as well as in ours, um, just has everything you could possibly want. They do tap, there's jazz, there's old Broadway. Um, there's spoofs in it where they spoof other Disney um, movies and characters and things. It really is a fantastic, fantastic um, number and a great performance by our Broadway brunch bunch. So I hope you all enjoy it as much as um, we love doing it. Throw a quick homage out to Jimmy, because of course he's, he's the one that put us together and he is the one that is responsible for, you know, for this, the behind the scenes of this program, as well as the behind the scenes of all of your programs. <laughs> Throw a quick homage out to shout out to Jimmy. Yes, all the love for Jimmy Rossi. He is our producer. He's our director. He is nonstop uh, custom designing and looking to what's the next next what's the next level, what's the next thing, and um, he's he's tireless uh, when it comes to the amount of energy and time and money that he puts into um, this vision of his. So. Um, we love him for it, and if you get a chance to come and see us live at Hamburger Mary's in Orlando, please do. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. And if um, if the listeners want to find you on social media, where can they look? Uh, I'm Angel Sheridan at um, on Facebook. Awesome. Angel, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining us and giving us this awesome look behind the makeup the art of drag performance. I hope you were enlightened and I hope you enjoyed and I hope um, we get to be together all again sometime. Absolutely. And thank you to Anthony Corona uh, for arranging for that interview for us. Um, and thank you again to our host and uh, to everyone who stuck around. Uh, we did already run that um, audio described drag performance in the last hour. If you missed it and you'd like to see it, keep an eye on our website. And that is blind LGBT pride um, in, dot org. I believe that's blind LGBT pride dot org. Uh, or if you just search for blind LGBT pride on Facebook, you will find us.